0: Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, let's go to the dirty streets of North Dunedin.
1: Started, started <laughs>
0: Dunedin is just off the rails right now, guys.
2: It's a student vibe, like everyone around you a student, and it's just amazing. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so much fun. How's your first experience at High Street going, Rowdy? So much
0: fun, come to Dunedin. come to Dunedin. it's so much fun. Otago's student culture is hitting national headlines once again.
2: Otago University's warning a student could be killed or seriously harmed in flat initiations that can quickly lead to bullying, intimidation and harassment. So far this week we've heard of
0: horrific initiations, one involving biting the legs off a live duck, I mean, I can't even believe we're saying that out loud in a sentence. It's so barbaric. Police are now looking into animal cruelty at Otago University, where students are said to have mistreated a live eel as part of an initiation ritual. What are all these flat initiations? Why are some of them so infamous? And how can we meet that balance between fun and recklessness? Critic to Arohi is a student-run magazine at Otago, and Fox Meyer is
1: its editor. There's a few different types of them, but the one that we're really focusing on here is flat initiations. And because Otago is such a great student community, you have this student neighbourhood that you don't really have anywhere else in the country, you have these flats that are passed down from friend group to friend group, they have names on them.
0: Across the road you can see Pink Flat at the door, that's been there since 1984. And further up the street there's um, Foot Rock Flat, and that's been there since 1977.
1: They've got a lot of clout surrounding them, and once you do sign the flats, you get initiated. So it's typically first years being initiated by second years before they're able to really consider themselves fully deserving of the clout of that flat.
0: Right, so you have to perform certain tasks that are given to you by the previous tenants to actually start living there, really. It's like a bonus tenancy agreement.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's. I don't think it's on the lease, but... um. (laughs) definitely, definitely par for the course. So
0: you discovered something in the famous uh, student street of Leith Street to do with eels.
1: Yeah. So there was, um, this was a very public initiation. What, What ended up making the news was this moment where there were a few first year boys that were in this sort of tub and they were hoisting this live eel above their head and it was all wiggling around and it was pretty traumatic. You know, like I know that there were witnesses at the party who were really upset by what they were seeing, you know, and wanted to leave, but didn't feel like they could. And there were members of the public just walking by, you know, like this was extremely visible. By the time we reported on it, the university was already aware, you know, the proctor was already involved. It was, we broke the story, but we certainly were not the first ones to see it happening. You know, I'm sure there were parents and kids walking by or just people coming back from work.
0: There's been other stories about initiations as well that you've uncovered.
1: There have been. There are other initiations out there. They don't just involve eels. Some of them are historical. Some of them are from this year. But, you know, we've got some horror stories going back, you know, at least 10 years or so. There's ones in there where people have been shut into wheelie bins and forced to chain smoke cigarettes, and then that fills up with gas and you can't breathe in there. There's been people that have like glass bottles thrown at them I've heard of. Definitely a lot of eggs. The most common thing is just drinking to absolute excess. There's uh, moments where somebody, I think somebody was partially blinded a few years ago when an egg hit him in the, hit him in the eye. There was a girl who had her eyebrows shaved because she didn't want to take part in a cigarette race because I think she'd lost a family member to lung cancer and It really just goes on and on.
0: So what is the idea behind them, really? I mean, is it a... These initiations, are they a form of bonding? Are they a form of getting to know each other? Why do people
1: do them? That's a great question. Why would you do this? We've talked to several students at this point, and the point they always, without a doubt, fall back on is that this is group bonding and it's meant to be good fun. And I do believe that. You know, I do believe that if you are forced to walk this gauntlet with a group of people that you're going to be living with, you're going to be pretty tightly bond. I completely understand that. I just think that there's a line between, you know, a good time and a really dangerous time that you're just telling yourself is a good time. Because there are plenty of initiations out there that sound like fun. You know, I'm happy to talk about those ones too. It really is just these crazy off the wall ones that make the news because obviously they're the most exciting and they're, they're the most risky.
0: What are the ones that sound like
1: fun to you? Well, there was one that I know was happening back in, I think, 2010, where all you had to do is you get locked in the attic and they turn the lights off and you have to drink like a bottle of wine while uh, Crazy Frog played on repeat. That was it. <laughs> that sounds fun. You know, there, there was one from this year where we, we talked to a girl involved where basically they all had to show up in this matching outfit, like dress up like a grandparent, basically. And they all went to the backyard and finished a bunch of drinks. And then they had to do this song and dance contest. Again, that sounds like a great time you know, doesn't sound like it's meant to humiliate or injure you. It just sounds like it's a group bonding experience that might be a little embarrassing because of the costumes, but certainly isn't harmful.
0: What's leading to some of these ones getting really extreme? Is it just some of these students trying to be creative and outdo each other?
1: I think there's two interesting thoughts about why it accelerates like this. I think part of it is because yeah, you do just want to outdo the prior year. You just want to sprinkle on that little extra something to make make your own mark on it you know take control of the situation because part of this whole thing is this this power play but i think also personally i feel like if you put yourself through hell in this way and, and you go through all these awful awful experiences and you know that you're a good person and you're a sensible person You need to find a way to justify to yourself why you let that happen. It's all for nothing. You know, you're not going to admit that. You're not going to say that I didn't need to do that. You're going to find a way to tell yourself I needed to do that. It must have been the best day of the year. It must have been good group bonding because otherwise, why would I have let myself have my eyebrows shaved off and get covered in another boy's vomit and get, you know, hit by someone with a bag over my head and all that stuff? And I think that's the really insidious part of this is that it makes you kind of gaslight yourself into thinking that it was a good time. The scariest bit about all that is that when we bring in students to talk to them about it, the language that they use to explain what happened and the tone they're using are complete opposites. They'll sound very cheerful about it, very happy about it, very excited to talk about it, but they'll use words like, it was horrible, it was torture, we were worried we weren't going to make it out alive, you know, it was one of the scariest things I've ever done, it was the grossest thing I've ever done. But they'll be saying this in a way that sounds like they're incredibly excited about it, and no matter how hard we push them to just keep asking the question, okay, well, why... Okay, well, what was fun? Okay, well, how was it fun? Okay, well, whose tradition is it? There just aren't answers beyond that. And I feel like it's this real barrier that these students are running into where they've convinced themselves that what they're doing is worth it when I don't think they really deep down believe that.
0: Crazy student antics have been going on for years at Otago. For instance, the Undy 500, when the police got out their riot gear in 2007. Rampaging Otago and Canterbury students pelted them with bottles and torched cars and couches. More than 50 people were arrested. Now the annual Undy 500 car pilgrimage, which led to the trouble, could face the chop. The infamous toga parade in 2009.
2: Windows were smashed and there were arrests as Otago University students ran wild in Dunedin last night. At the height of their annual parade, about 2,000 toga-clad students were involved in the disorder which left eggs, rubbish and glass strewn along Dunedin's main street while windows were smashed in cars and shops.
0: And the annual Hyde Street keg party. Police describe Saturday night's Hyde Street keg race as utterly irresponsible. Campus cop Kevin Meachin says 16 flats were involved and 21 kegs of beer. Now do you remember this Kiwi classic? I warn you, this place is free for a reason. It's a shithole. Dark, damp, rat-infested. Nice. This place is wicked. That's from the movie Scarface, an iconic movie all about Otago students. The Rob Sarkis directed and co-wrote
2: it. I made scarpies because I knew that world and I knew something of the culture of this that world because I'd lived to the world. So tell me about... Your time as a student. Well, to be honest, I wasn't really that um, enamoured by aspects of the world. I was never part of the big drinking culture. It was something that I uh, I observed. I'd be the guy at the party, sort of watching everyone else having a good time and sort of thinking about it, <laughs> rather than actually rocking out. But you know, if you if you go to university there for for you know in my case three or four years, you become part of that culture and you know a lot of people who are in student flats. You do go to some of these parties. You hang out at the Sometimes, or just at the student cafe, and um, I don't know. It just becomes part of you. And uh, when you're making your first film, it's fantastic to be able to use material that you already know because you don't have to fake it. Then uh, I could authentically tell a story about students in Dunedin because I had been one.
0: But you hadn't been one of the traditional
2: Scarfies, you know, doing the care grace. Or <laughs> I got—I got to be honest. I'm—I'm um, I'm no Mark Ellis. <laughs> okay probably wish I was. You know, guys <laughs> like that have a lot more fun, I think. I just hunker <laughs> down and make movies and do my art. <laughs> yeah, But yeah. Um, I never did the Undy 500, for example. Mm. But I thought it was super great that it existed. Why was it super great it existed? I just think that student culture, at least back when I went to university, was this fantastic thing. Is that it was the, the the reason that so many... Well, so many of my current friends even today, you know, went from other parts of New Zealand to Dunedin because you weren't just going there to learn your subject material, you were going there to be part of a culture, you know, and, and that culture becomes part of you. You can't get that anywhere else. It's specific to that place. What makes the Otago
0: University culture so unique? You talk about it being so different from other parts of New Zealand.
2: It's the isolation of Dunedin uh, because students who come there are mostly far away from their their ordinary worlds, their home lives. Just the geography of where the university and the polytech and the Teachers College are, everything's clustered together. Uh, It's in North Dunedin. It's its own world within a world, in a way quite separate from the rest of Dunedin. But the initiations that have
0: been going on, did you ever partake in any initiations?
2: No, I didn't ever partake in initiations, and I'm pretty disgusted with some of what I've been reading that's been going on. It has been going on for years. There were always rumours of slightly gross things, often including bodily fluids, you know, uh, you know, even back when I was there in the mid-80s.
0: Other people who were at Otago around the same time as Rob told us about some pretty disturbing initiation stories, such as, and brace yourselves, the helicopter sitting in a circle, chucking down beer after beer, then when you need to vomit, puking all over your mates. And the jumbo jobby, defecating on the door of a business late at night and then running away. Fox, from the critic, is from the US and says Dunedin is way more extreme than what he's seen in his home country.
1: There's like national fraternities in the States. Those are the ones that you really hear about, the big ones, quote-unquote. And they're like a national organization. You get initiated into it. And then the reward is that you're part of this network. The fraternity that I was a part of at my university, it was uh, exclusively local. So no national organizations, only ones that only existed there, with the idea being that they wouldn't be as uh, as toxic. We were also strictly dry. There was no, uh, no drugs or alcohol being able to be used in the initiations. But that being said, they were a week long. And um, I think that that gives a bit of license to be a bit more creative when it comes to what they're gonna put you through. And ours was um basically they just made you stay up for the whole week. You didn't really get a lot of sleep and you had to do a lot of like memory based tasks and you had to I don't know, just just complete all these things that required a lot of mental energy. And I think the whole point is that you get so depleted that you start failing at these things and it you know that really takes a toll at least on me personally Like,
0: mm. can i just clarify why drugs and alcohol weren't involved because it's incredibly dangerous
1: because yeah. every year someone in the united states some student dies because they've been forced to drink to excess and they're just like left there like there was one famous case of a guy named i think it was tim i mean his story is just absolutely horrific tim piazza died after an alcohol fueled night of hazing at a fraternity house at penn state university for nearly 12 hours the frat brothers allegedly let Tim suffer without calling for any help. If you look at the difference between how many students there are in the U.S. and how many students there are in New Zealand and how many of both of those go through something like hazing, it's just a numbers game. You know, like, if you've got so many more people in the States doing this, there's a much higher chance that one of them is going to do something that, you know, is you can't take it back if somebody's going to die over there. You know, you've got a lot more people to for that to happen to. Here, it's a much smaller pool, but I think that what we're doing here is much more extreme. They're condensing that entire week-long hazing ritual into, like, an hour. You know, and if you're going to do that every year, it really is just a matter of time before, before we lose someone.
0: You were quite surprised when you arrived in Dunedin to see and hear about this, coming from the oh, States? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like... It really is unbelievable what what that culture is like here. And, like, I get it's young, you're at university and you're you're drinking a lot, because I did the exact same thing. But, like, the lengths that people go to, the normalisation of vomit, the normalisation of blacking out, the fact that, like, you know, people will say things like, it's nothing harmful, it's just a bunch of drinking. Like, they'll say that and fully believe it.
0: High schools and halls must play into this a little bit. They must influence students somehow to start these initiations when they get into flats.
1: That's a really good point to make. There's two connections there that, that we can talk about, one of which is that high schools, you know, this this younger environment does play into it. Like there's some patterns we see with the specific high schools that people go to. It tends to be these more private schools, boarding school sort of culture that, that seems to get passed on. And, and a lot of people involved, you know, if you can afford maybe to go to a private school, you can probably also afford to spend you know, $1,200 on drinks that you're literally just going to vomit straight onto the ground. If, even if we don't talk about the morals of the situation, this just seems like a really... Poor use of money. The other side of this is is halls, as you're saying, and I think when we think about um, halls and initiations in Dunedin, we, we think of Knox and Selwyn.
0: Staff has reported that records from the 1940s show intense hazing rituals at Knox, where first-year students were made to dig their own shallow grave and drink hard liquor in it until they vomited. Selwyn, and to be very clear, we're talking about the residential halls here, not the school in Auckland, used to have a trophy for students who could scull two pints the fastest, and that dated back to 1937.
1: I think that it would be a bit of a mistake to say that Knox and Selwyn are responsible for this at all, because I know firsthand that they've both been working extraordinarily hard to make sure that that culture has been stomped out and that students don't get hurt in their halls of residence. More than a thousand former students of Dunedin's Knox College have formed a group opposing changes to the long-standing traditions at the Otago University Hall of Residence. The Presbyterian Church has replaced the college's governing council with a commission. According to the former students group, the commission plans to ban initiation ceremonies and enforce tighter rules for social functions. I can put my hand on my chest and say that I don't think that it's modern culture coming from, from those halls that's responsible for this at all. There's two things that I can point to that might involve this, one of which is the closing down of a lot of the student pubs in Dunedin.
0: Final drinks have been poured at Poti Dunedin's last student pub. Health and safety concerns have closed the doors at Starter's Bar.
1: It's the latest scarfy haunt to go
0: dark. The bowler and the guardies were both bought by Otago University. The Captain Cook Hotel was closed, reopening as a gastro pub before closing again.
1: Who's to say what the butterfly effects of that were, but if you have a public space to go to to enjoy all these things you might not need to be doing it in a backyard. I think also the the VSM bill, the Voluntary Student Membership Bill, that had a lot of uh, effects of eroding sort of this student culture identity.
0: The Voluntary Student Membership Bill, which is due to pass its third reading this Wednesday, would abolish compulsory student association membership, reducing funds
1: for a range of services for students. I think when you erode this big identity, it, it means that people need to form their own smaller, more insular identities, and that's maybe where you get these individual flats springing up, because I know they go back, before that, but it's just one of those other coincidences where two things happen at the same time, and is there really a corollary between the two, or is it just a coincidence?
0: You might say that the closure of the student bars has led to this, but I remember the Undie 500, the Toga parade, <laughs> couch burnings. I mean, you know, that might still happen on occasion, but that was much more prevalent back in the day. I mean, there's been big initiatives to try and curb this culture.
1: I agree. I can't say that closure of student bars has in any way directly caused this, but what I think we can say for certain is that it's a lot easier to police a group of 200 people at one venue than it is to police 10 groups of 20 people at 10 different flats.
0: Police would rather the student pubs stayed. There's no controls on the street. There's no limits to alcohol they can drink. There's no limits to intoxication, drug use whatever goes on in the street. Um, we don't get those inside licensed premises.
2: Rob Sarkis also supports this. These student pubs, places like the you know, the old cook, the old version of the cook and the Gardies, were places where students could go, you'd have a good time together, but it was a controlled environment, you know, that you're not going to get these sorts of events happening in those environments. Of course, as soon as these pubs close, and in some cases were literally closed by the university or bought by the university in the case of the Gardies, all of those people, they're going to keep drinking, they're going to keep, you know, having fun, but they're doing it in their own flats, and so suddenly you can't control it. And actually it's, its it becomes less valuable because it's less of a petri dish of culture because it's more just individual flats.
0: Well, you could say that things have improved since 20 years ago. I mean, we don't have the crazy riot police. I haven't seen the riot police out in Dunedin in a while on the news. I mean, it could be a better place without the pubs, yeah?
2: To be honest, when I went, to university there wasn't the extreme of the couch burnings and the police and riot gear (laughs) the only police and riot gear i saw were uh, during the springbok tour probably it's fair to say that since i was there in the mid to late 1980s perhaps the culture in inverted commas has become more extreme And, and of course the authorities have to react to that but it's a shame because suddenly then you get a kind of a a very light version of what student culture is or should be because everyone's wanting to control it, so it becomes contrived. How does it become light? What do we see from that? I think what we see from that is a lack of freedom, I suppose, for culture to develop in its own way. You don't see these big gatherings of students at at pubs. Now, what I like, I guess, is when... People gather because when people gather, particularly young people, they share ideas, they share in a culture, and a, a culture creates itself. Well, I can see that the events over the last 15 years have been limiting these gatherings because the authorities see these gatherings, be it gatherings after the under 500 or uh, or the closure of the pubs, many of the big student pubs, the authorities see them as uh, as problematic because they see them as something to control. I get that to an extent, but I think that we need to give young people some freedom <laughs> as as well. To be honest, what, what disturbs me most about what I've been reading about, and I've just been receiving this through the media as well, probably like you, is that the young people who are, probably going to become some of the leaders of our country and the leaders of business and the, the the doctors and the dentists and and whatnot some of them are engaging in activities that are just frankly gross that that does sadden me i like to think of young people having fun and having freedom i made a essentially made a film about young people getting into trouble and i to an extent i celebrate that i guess there's a line and i and I, I wonder if that crossing of that line says more about who We have allowed our young people to become in New Zealand, you know, blame it on whatever you want, blame it on the media, blame it on the internet, I don't know, Uh, blame it on the lack of things to do, I'm just not sure, but it sort of saddens me that some young people uh, feel like they need to go to these sorts of extremes, because essentially what they're doing is shaming others, making other people feel bad for their own enjoyment, and why can't we all just um, party up (laughs) if you're a student, (laughs) and enjoy the experience, but not demean others.
0: What's been the student reaction to this around the campus? I mean, you talk about some of the students defending what they do. You yourself have been very vocal in saying this shouldn't happen.
1: It's been a bit of a mixed response. You have uh, certain students who are legitimately traumatized by these kind of things and are you know mature enough, I think, to admit that and to recognize the harm it's done to them. And, and they're very supportive of the stories. We had people coming into the office to say, thank you for covering this, stuff like that. And then there's, there's students that are really upset by it. I think it was our photographer yesterday was just walking down the street with a critic case that had a sticker on it. He had a bunch of slurs yelled at him and people were saying, you're giving us a bad name, you know, like redacted this, redacted that. He has some pretty thick skin, so he was basically just saying, like, you're proving my point, man. Anyway, that, that really is a minority. I think the majority of students that are involved in initiations that have heard the story have just basically said, well, what the heck, ours was fine. They're all saying, oh, it's just a few psychos out there that really enjoy this, and that the majority of them are, we, we try to look after each other as best we can. And I think that's all true, and I know they all mean well, and I think they're upset about us shining a light on this because they don't feel like they're personally the problem. But the thing is, if everybody feels like that and everyone's still doing it, eventually one of you is going to be the problem. You know, and if you're telling me that your safety measures that you have in place is that everybody's sculling drinks, you know, for 20 minutes, as many as you can do, and they're like, oh, one of our friends wasn't doing too well, so the solution was to take him off the wine, give him a cigarette, and say you can smoke that until it's done, and then have a glass of water and get right back to it. It's like, I don't think that counts as a safety measure, man.
0: But these initiations are arguably a, a draw card for Dunedin too, and a reason why people want to go to Dunedin or why people want to study
1: in Dunedin. So if we got rid of them, <laughs> would, this, would the university be the same? I, I don't know, man. I feel like that's a tough argument to make because it, it opens it up to a conversation about like, well, what parts of culture are good? What po- parts of culture do we want to get rid of? I think we can afford to lose this element of student culture while preserving a lot of the other ones.
0: That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Bench. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Fox Meyer and Rob Sarkis. And a disclaimer, yes, I did go to Otago, but I managed to avoid an initiation. Ka kite anō.